Welcome to the Verse by Verse podcast, a ministry of the Friendship Congregational Bible Church. I'm Richard Church, the teacher on Verse by Verse, and I'm glad you've joined with us today as we study together God's infallible word, verse by verse. Let's turn to Mark chapter 15, and we'll pick up today in verse 40. Mark chapter 15, verse 40 says, There were also women looking on afar off, among whom was Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James the Less and of Joseph and of Salome, who also, when he was in Galilee, followed him and ministered unto him, and many other women which came up with him unto Jerusalem. Now, uh, it's, it's describing these women here uh, after the, the death of Christ. It might be somewhat surprising how few people of, of those that loved Christ that were actually there at the crucifixion. Here it mentions these women. Uh, John is also described as, as being there. But most of the disciples are not there at the crucifixion. Remember, they had, when they came and arrested Christ, the disciples had fled. Uh, Peter kind of, kind of hung around to see what was going to happen. And, and you remember how he denied Christ. And, um, but, but these women here, even they are afar off. Now, again, if you read the various other gospel accounts, you see, uh, for instance, there's a, a point where Mary, uh, the mother of Jesus, and John are, are right there at the foot of the cross. But these women here are, are uh, looking on from afar off. And uh, it, mentions, it mentions these women, several of them by name. Uh, and it says that they followed him when he was in Galilee and ministered unto him. Now, these women are mentioned in various places throughout the Gospels, and, and you have uh, this group of women as well as individual women. Uh, remember, there was the woman who came and washed his feet with her hair. And, and uh, you know, there's these various women that, that ministered unto him. The Scriptures don't put a lot of focus on those women, um, but... You know, they are there with Christ. And, uh, and, and it describes there, I mean, besides those ones it mentions, it says that there were many other women which came up with him unto Jerusalem. And, uh, these, again, it's not that these women aren't important. Uh, no doubt the, the uh, various ways that they ministered to him were very important and, and very welcome. But the scripture puts most of the emphasis on the, the disciples, the, the twelve especially. Okay. And, um, of course, you know, modern scholars might look at that and just say it represents, uh, a, a view of women as inferior or, or something like that. Uh, although, um, people who, who really, you know, study writings from this time remark how even the mentions that are given of these women are remarkable that, that uh, often in the writings of the time, women wouldn't be mentioned at all. And, uh, you know, here it mentions uh, a lot about these women. But um, the, the main thing is that these women are there serving Christ. Uh, but the scripture puts the emphasis on, especially on those 12, because of the authority that Christ gave to them. And, and just like later on, it describes in the church how, you know, men are supposed to have those those roles of leadership, it's the same thing here. So it's not that these women aren't important. Uh, they're, they're very important. 
but uh, they're, here they're mentioned, even many of those male disciples are not there even watching the crucifixion, but these women are there watching from afar off. Now, we're going to spend most of the, the time today in the following verses then. Verse 42 says, And now when the even was come, because it was the preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, an honorable counselor, which also waited for the kingdom of God, came and went in boldly unto Pilate and craved the body of Jesus. And Pilate marveled if he were already dead, and calling unto him the centurion, he asked him whether he had been dead or been any while dead. And when he knew it of the centurion, he gave the body to Joseph. And he bought fine linen and took him down and wrapped him in the linen and laid him in a sepulcher which was hewn out of a rock and rolled a stone under the door of the sepulcher, and Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph beheld where he was laid. Now, you see, when Joseph goes to get the body, Pilate says Pilate marveled if he were already dead. See, crucifixion was not a quick death. And there were, there were often times where somebody might hang on a cross for days before they actually died. Uh, here, Christ dies really just in a, a period of hours, they're on the cross. And so so when Joseph comes to get the body, Pilate is marveling that he's already dead. That, again, demonstrates the fact that Christ laid down his life. He didn't, he didn't die the, the normal way somebody would die in crucifixion. Uh, he, he laid down his life. Now understand that uh, Christ, in addition to suffering the, the uh, beatings and things and, and just the uh, stresses of crucifixion itself. Remember, Christ was bearing the judgment of God there on the cross. And, and so he is actually bearing more and suffering more than what the thieves, for instance, that are crucified with him would suffer. But again, we saw how he, it says that he, um, he gave up the ghost, or it says he yielded up the ghost. And Christ chose the moment of his death. He chooses to die at that time. He willingly gives up the ghost and um, and doesn't wait just for the just the natural effects of the the crucifixion. Now, I noticed in verse 42, let me read it again. It says, "Now when the even was come, because it was the preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath." All right. Now, traditionally, uh, according to tradition, the Lord Jesus Christ died on a Friday, rose again on a Sunday, right? Uh, that's, that's the tradition. Um, as far as the resurrection, if you skip down to chapter 16, verse 1, you see there it says, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, had bought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came unto the sepulcher at the rising of the sun. So on the first day of the week, which would be Sunday, uh, when they get there to the tomb, he is risen from the dead. Uh, the, the identification of the crucifixion with Friday, and the celebration of Good Friday, for instance, is based on the fact that in verse 42, it calls it the day before the Sabbath. Right? And so the assumption there is that that would be speaking of the weekly Sabbath, which would be from, from sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday, which would then have Christ dying on Friday afternoon and then putting him in the grave before sundown Friday night by our 
by our reckoning. There's some problems with that. Because of the various passages that describe the duration of time between the crucifixion and the resurrection, um, there's some problems with placing the crucifixion on Friday. Okay? Now, there's, there's several different phrases that are used to talk about that duration of time. Um, we, we say he rose again on the third day, right? Meaning the third day after the crucifixion. Um, well, from Friday to Sunday, then the, the explanation, the, de- the defense of the crucifixion being on Friday uh, is that any part of a day can be counted as a day, right? So, so you could say, if you count Friday as the first day, Saturday as the second day, Sunday as the third day, he rises on the third day, all right? There are other verses that talk about him rising after three days. Now that makes it, that's a little bit harder for you to fit in between, between Friday and Sunday to say that Sunday morning is after three days from Friday. Um, and, and I want you to look at one, one more way that that duration is worded. I want you to go to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12, verse, let's start in verse 38. It says, Then certain of the scribes and the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. But he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now, this gives a lot of problem. The wording there gives a lot of problem to the idea of Christ being crucified on Friday. Because you can make Sunday the third day from Friday. Count Friday as the first day, right? You can maybe even stretch it in to, to say that that would be after three days. But there's no way that you can get three days and three nights between you know, from Friday afternoon to Sunday morning. You can't even, I mean, you can get three days, but you can't get three nights, right? You can't, even if you're counting part of a night, uh, you can't get three nights because you would have Friday night and Saturday night and he's risen on Sunday morning. Okay, so, so is it, I mean, is it a contradiction in the Bible? Did the, did the Bible writers get it wrong? Or is it possible that there's something about the wording there with regard to the Sabbath that we're not understanding? Now, it's clear that he's risen on the first day of the week, when, when the women come on the first day of the week before sunup, it's still dark, he's risen already then. That's clear from scripture. Um, but I want you to go back to Leviticus chapter 23. And I want you to notice something here that'll help us to, to understand some of the chronology. Um, remember that this is all taking place within the context of the Passover, right? So, so the Lord Jesus Christ ate the, uh, the, that last supper with his disciples, which was the Passover, right? He told them to go and, and make the arrangements for the upper room so that they would eat the Passover there. And so if we look at actually the, the, uh, instructions back in Leviticus about these feast days, it helps us to get some insight into what day Christ is actually crucified. So in Leviticus 23, start in verse 4, it says, These are the feasts of the Lord, even holy convocations, which ye shall proclaim in their seasons. 
In the fourteenth day of the first month at even is the Lord's Passover. Now you have to understand that the Hebrew day goes from evening to evening. It goes from sundown to sundown. Right? So when the, when the sun would sink below the horizon, that's the start of a new day. Now we, we start our calendar day at midnight. They started their calendar day with sundown. Alright? And so, uh, in this first month, which was the Hebrew month Nisan, the fourteenth day of the first month at even is the Lord's Passover. But that's not the only feast taking place at that time because verse 6 says, and on the 15th day of the same month is the feast of unleavened bread unto the Lord. Seven days ye must eat unleavened bread. In the first day ye shall have an holy convocation. Ye shall do no servile work therein, but ye shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. Seven days in the seventh day is an holy convocation. Ye shall do no servile work therein. Now, you see here that in this, in this week-long feast of unleavened bread, there is, um, there's, there's a couple of additional days in which they're not to do any work, which can also be referred to as Sabbath days. Alright? So you see that, that uh, the 14th day of the month is, is the Passover, and then the 15th day of the month is the feast of unleavened bread, and that first day of unleavened bread is a Sabbath day. Okay? So, if you think about the events leading up to the crucifixion, on the 14th, the, it would be in the Hebrew reckoning of days, the beginning of the 14th day of the month, after, after sundown, but it, so it would be the beginning of the 14th, Christ eats the Passover with His disciples. They go out into the garden where He's arrested, uh, he's tri- has various trials through the night, and it's the next day, which in the Hebrew calendar is still that same day, the 14th of Nisan, that he's hung on the cross. Now, where we're at here in Mark then, he's, he's died and it's getting close to sundown on the 14th, which would mean the 15th is about to begin. And that 15th is a Sabbath day, no matter which day of the week it falls on. Now, just like, you know, we have some holidays that we always have on the same day of the week, and then we have some holidays that we have on a specific date, and it might vary which day of the week it falls on. That's the way these, uh, the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread would be, so that the first day of Unleavened Bread, no matter what day of the week it falls on, is a Sabbath day. Alright? So, so, uh, keep in mind, when you go back to Mark then, when it says that that Joseph is going to get the body because he says it's the day before the Sabbath, that's not necessarily the weekly Sabbath. See, the assumption has been that's the weekly Sabbath, therefore he must have died on Friday. Um, but, but you see that there are different Sabbath days in that week. Uh, it calls it the preparation because before the beginning of that first day of unleavened bread, they had to put all the leaven out of their homes. Okay, so uh, the 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 Hebrew the Hebrew term for unleavened bread is matzah. So when Jewish people talk about matzah, that's that's unleavened bread. And they had to have any kind of leaven or leavened bread out of their homes before the sundown that began the fifteenth day of the month. And so that day of, of the fourteenth, they would eat the Passover meal. 
Um, and then that day, they would have to make sure they got all the leaven out of their home. They, that was a day of preparation for the week-long Feast of Unleavened Bread that begins on the 15th. And it begins with a Sabbath day, and then also the last day of Unleavened Bread is a, a Sabbath day as well. So so really, the uh, the day of Christ, when you consider that, the day of Christ's crucifixion doesn't have to be on a Friday. It doesn't have to be the week or the, the day before the weekly Sabbath. So if it doesn't have to be a Friday, what day is it? Um, if you look at uh, you know various various ideas, again, Friday just doesn't work because it doesn't work. There's not enough nights in between. It's you can get three days, you can't get three nights. Um, so various people have, have proposed Thursday. Uh, some some have even said Wednesday. And there's even been a few people that have thought that it would be like a Tuesday or or some other day. Um, in order to get that, they have to they have to really do a lot of retranslation and re reinterpretation. But uh, uh, again, you know, some people would say Thursday, some would say Wednesday. Uh, on if you have Thursday, actually Thursday satisfies all of the wording that's used of that duration, right? Because if you have Christ dying on Thursday afternoon, first of all, that fits the three days and three nights because you have He's in, he's in the grave before sundown, so you've got Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, and then he rises before sunup, or, or soon before sunup, uh, on Sunday morning. So you got your three nights, you've got the three days, cause you got, you have, uh, thir- whether you want to count it as Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, or, or, uh, Friday, Saturday, and part of Sunday, either way you want to count it, you have those three days. Um, it, it also is, you can say that Sunday is the third day from Thursday, right? So from Thursday, you count three days, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And it also fits the wording to say after three days, right? Um, so, so Thursday fits all of those. Uh, again, some people, some people will argue for Wednesday. Um, to, to me, I, I don't think it has to be Wednesday when Thursday fits all of the, all of the wording. But, but the point is, it's definitely not Friday. Now, the only reason I bring that up, it's, it's not a major point. I mean, it's not as if God hasn't instructed you that you need to be able to identify which day of the week that he, that he died on. Um, but it does demonstrate a lot of times how these traditions get built up that aren't necessarily based on the Word of God or that are based on, in the case of, of Good Friday, they're based on a wrong reading of the Word of God. And, and understand that the, the tradition, again, you know, people have to go through a lot of different kinds of verbal and mental gymnastics to make Friday fit those different wordings when, you know, you could just, you could just identify it as Thursday and that fits the scripture and you don't have to do any kind of, and any kind of, uh, twisting of anything at all. But, but you see how these traditions build up. And, and of course, you know, when it comes to something like, Good Friday. Uh, God doesn't tell you to pick out the day of Christ's death and celebrate that as a special religious day, or the day of his resurrection, for that matter. Um, God doesn't instruct you to do those things. Uh, I, I look at those days as an opportunity because often you have people that, you know, around that time uh, that's, that's celebrated as Easter and, and Good Friday, you may have opportunities. People may listen a little bit more to uh, some things about Christ than they would at other times. But but realize God never instructed anybody to take those days and make special 
religious days out of them. Um, but, but always understand that, uh, you have to weigh tradition by the scripture. Okay? Tradition, there are good traditions and there are bad traditions, but, uh, you gotta weigh them, you gotta weigh them by the scripture. And so what they're doing is they, they need to at least do some preliminary preparation of, of Christ's body before sundown. If, now, now, if you remember, he dies at three o'clock in the afternoon. Sundown would be about six o'clock. So they take, when it, when it says that uh, the even was come, what they're doing is in preparation of that sundown coming, they can't do any servile work. They can't do any preparation of the body while it's a Sabbath day. Uh, so they take his, his body down off the cross. Now, the other, the other gospels record how, uh, you know, you see here in Mark how Pilate marveled that he was already dead. The other, the other uh, criminals that were crucified with Christ didn't die as early as he did. And they sent the guards to come and break their legs, uh, so that they would die more quickly because without that, without being able to push up on their legs, uh, they won't be able to, to, uh, get the air that they need to breathe and stay alive. And so when they would come by and break somebody's legs when they're hanging there on the cross, they would expire very quickly. Um, Christ, there's, there's another important significance to this. Mark doesn't really tell you about it, but by Christ dying when he did, it means that the guards didn't come and break his legs. And remember, part of what he's fulfilling is the, the types and shadows of the Old Testament sacrifices in which no bones could be broken. Okay, when somebody brought a, a lamb to sacrifice to God, they couldn't break any of the bones of it. And so it was important symbolically that Christ's bones would not be broken. And, and so there's another reason why he chooses to die when he does, so that they don't come along like they do with the criminals beside him and break those bones, which would then violate the, the symbolism of what he's accomplishing as that perfect sacrifice. Um, so, so Joseph of Arimathea, it describes him here as being an honorable counselor, which also waited for the kingdom of God. Uh, Joseph of Arimathea was seems to be a, a fairly prominent person there in the society in Jerusalem, understand that there were some of the, the people that were a part of that religious establishment that believed on Christ. Now, in some cases, they had to be kind of discreet. You remember how Nicodemus would come to him at night, and um, you know they, they uh, didn't necessarily always openly profess faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, it it, I don't know that it really tells us enough about Joseph to know a lot of those details, but here's somebody who's considered as this honorable counselor. He's waiting for the kingdom of God, and he provides a tomb for Christ. Uh, it's, it's described in other places as being Joseph's own tomb. We saw in the Psalms how it talked about how, how uh, Christ's grave was going to be made with the rich, and so here you have another fulfillment of those details in the Psalms about his death. Here you have this, this rich man, this prominent man, who's going to provide his, his own tomb for Christ. Understand that what, what they did with these bodies in this day is they would take the body and they would put it in a tomb for, generally for a period of years until the flesh was all gone. And then later they would come in and they would take the bones out and generally put them into a, a box, sometimes called an ossuary. Um, 
and because because you know there wasn't always a lot of space for all of these tombs, and that way they would reuse tombs. And so for most people, you didn't get a new tomb. But here, uh, Joseph's tomb that he provides for Christ is a uh, a new tomb, a new sepulcher. It says that it was it was hewn out of a rock. So this is not a natural cave, but it's a, a you know something somebody went in and and uh, carved this out of the rock, and that's where they lay Christ's body. Of course, there's going to be no need to come back later and take Christ's bones and put them into an ossuary because his body isn't going to stay there very long. But uh, they they put him there in the sepulcher, and they put the the stone uh, in front of the door of the sepulcher, and you see it says Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph beheld where he was laid. Now, the reason that they pay attention to where, where he was, uh, where his body was put is because they don't have time to do the full preparation for burial here. Now, what they would do is they would wind that body, uh, with, with cloth and they would put various herbs and, and things in that and then put a resin over that, that cloth. Um, and they don't have time to do all that. That's a very lengthy, Process. They do some of the just some of the preliminary things, but they pay attention to where his body is. Uh, that's that's important because you know when Christ rises from the dead, there's all kinds of of explanations. And uh, you know one of the things that that uh, the women say when they don't find the body is they say that they don't know where they've laid him. But you see, they pay close attention to where they laid him. It's not, you know, it's not that they don't know where they laid him. It's just that when they go back later, he's not there. And they take close note of where his body is laid because their plan is to come back later after these Sabbaths are passed and to finish the, the preparation of that body. Um, so, so understand that if, if it is a Thursday when he's crucified and that Friday is the Sabbath day of the, of the uh, first day of unleavened bread, that would make then the next day the regular weekly Sabbath so that you would have two Sabbath days in a row and, it, and Sunday is the first opportunity that they have to, to come back and finish up the preparation of the body. Go to John chapter 19. John just fills in a few of these details for us. Some of these things I've already mentioned, but we'll, we'll uh, read down through here these last... Uh, few verses of, of John chapter 19. Um, if you start in verse 31, you'll notice a lot of similar wording to what we just read in Mark. Uh, it says, The Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation that the bodies should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day, for that Sabbath day was an high day, besought Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Then came the soldiers and brake the legs of the first and of the other which was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they brake not his legs, but one of the soldiers with a, with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith came there out blood and water. And he, he that saw it bear record, and his record is true, and he knoweth that he saith truth that ye might believe. For these things were done that the scripture should be fulfilled, a bone of him shall not be broken. And again, another scripture saith, they shall look on him whom they pierced. Now you see, Mark didn't fill in all those details for you. Mark just told you that, you know, the centurion came and verified that Christ was dead. Uh, here John gives you a few more of those 
details. You see, they, they pierce his side to, to make sure that he's really dead. Verse 38 says, And after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him leave. He came, therefore, and took the body of Jesus. There came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night, and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pound weight. Then took they the body of Jesus and wound it in linen clothes with the spices, as the manner of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new sepulcher, wherein was never man yet laid. And verse 42 says, There laid they Jesus therefore, because of the Jews' preparation day, for the sepulcher was nigh at hand. You understand that when they come back, he's no longer going to be there in the tomb. And uh, he will fulfill what he had said uh, when he said that he would give them the sign of the prophet Jonas. That's, that's the Old Testament prophet Jonah. That as he was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, Christ said, so he would be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And after those three days and three nights were fulfilled, he was going to rise from the dead. Hi, I'm Richard Church, the teacher here on Verse by Verse. I'm glad you've listened to our podcast today, and I would like to let you know that if you have any questions about anything you've heard here, you can contact me by email at richard at richardchurch.com or by telephone 608-339-9522. I also encourage you to check out our church website at www.friendshipbiblechurch.com. Thank you for joining us today, and our prayer is that this program would be a blessing to you in helping you to grow in your understanding of God's grace.